Good physics day, everyone. No, no, that's 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 not it. <clears throat> Good physics day, everyone. I mean, possible. No, no, I don't know. Let's just stick with the usual. Good physics day, everyone. Welcome to Physics Alive. I'm Brad Moser, and I want to help fellow educators spark new life into the physics classroom. Each episode, I'll draw inspiration from teachers, researchers, and science communicators. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the 2022 AAPT Winter Meeting Retrospective, Day 2. If you haven't already, I encourage you to check out the Day 1 Retrospective in the previous episode. In that episode, I chatted with Dr. Brian Lane from the University of North Florida about the meeting of the members, the first plenary talk, and some of the invited and contributed sessions from that day. But day two was a brand new day with different sessions, so feel free to hop right in here. And today, we have a new banterver. Along with Brian, I'm joined by Dr. Ann Leake from High Point University. I attended her talk that day of the conference, thought she would be a cool voice to bring on to the show, and what do you know? She said yes to the offer. So the three of us take turns nerding out about physics education. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so that you can stay up to date with each episode as it comes out. You can also find updates at Physics Alive on Twitter. That's a great place to comment on the episode and keep the conversation going. You can also reach me at brad at physicsalive.com. If you enjoy the show, leave a five-star rating on your podcast app and write a review. This will instantly ensure that all future AAPT meetings will be in person. Or it will help more educators find the show. It's one of the two. So I'll, I'll wait for you to go do that. Thanks. Are you done yet? No? Actually, you should probably pause the episode and maybe wait for a red light if you're driving to go do that. All right. Now are you back? Okay. I want to thank you up front for listening in, and I hope you find some inspiration or some ideas to muse on in today's conversation. Today's action step, at the end of the episode, we pose a question. What takeaways are you most interested in putting to action? Consider this question for yourself. If you attend in the meeting, is there something you could put into action? If you didn't attend, is there an idea or a talk from today's episode that you would like to explore further? Finally, don't miss the next episode of Physics Alive. I'll be speaking with two content editors for the Underrepresentation Curriculum Project, a free, flexible curriculum for STEM instructors to teach about injustice and change the culture of STEM. And now, day two of the conference. Enjoy. All right. Well, let's let's get started here. Good physics evening, everyone. I usually say good physics day, but it's it's nine thirty for us. Nine forty five, better than last night's ten thirty. We are here to to talk about the second day and now the end of the AAPT winter meeting from twenty twenty two. We are representing the East Coast right now, from Florida through North Carolina up to New York. So uh, I am Brad Moser, assistant professor of instruction at Hamilton College and the host of the Physics Alive podcast. And here with me are... I'm Ann Leake. Um, I'm an assistant professor at High Point University in North Carolina. Um, and I'm actually hailing from the education department by way of physics, so. And I'm Brian Lane. I am a visiting lecturer at the University of North Florida. I run the Let's Code Physics YouTube channel. 
So Anne, we need to get you some media representation. Sounds good. I think I've done one really awful, boring NPR piece back in the day. Oh, nice. I will but have to that's go. That's local I mean, on our local station. Okay, okay. I did <laughs> that for the I did that for the big eclipse a few years ago that went coast to coast and that was the height of my local popularity. Nice. I, I got I got called in to to talk about the the LIGO experiment and the gravitational waves. Um, unbeknownst to me, they invited two people who actually do gravitational wave research. Uh, but according to folks who listened, I was the one of the three who could actually be understood by the lay audience. <laughs> so I'll take that. <laughs> so the education coming through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of education, Anne, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you hail from an education department. You have, a, as you described before we started recording, an oscillating background. Um, what's your perspective of these AAPT meetings, either this one in particular or just the, the, the phenomenon in general of these people with usually pure physics backgrounds coming together to talk about teaching? What, what's that like for you coming from your world? Well, I love it. First of all, I almost feel like I'm at this weird family reunion. Like you go and meet your crazy cousins and your uncles and aunts from all these different weird departments. Uh, So it kind of feels like a family reunion in a way, but it is definitely like, you know, different groups coming together from physics who are people who are in the trenches in the high school classrooms all the way to like hardcore PER theory. And a lot of a lot of nuclear background. I don't know what it is about PER. I feel like there's like a condensed matter nuclear history involved. Guilty, guilty. (laughs) Is it a field one wants to run away from or? Um, I'll I'll say for me, it is a trajectory informed by uh, wanting to go get an advanced degree in physics, not knowing that PER is an option. And then mm. finding that the, the discovery research is not quite as satisfying as you would have liked and being a bit disappointed with the educational environment experience in that pure research world and then wanting to go and make a difference in sort of in both cases. Makes sense to me. <laughs> That's an end of one. I mean, that would be a if, if, if PER is allowed to study PER, it would be a great study, but that, that's, I was a, just going to say it gave you lots of energy, but. super meta. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going deep here early on. We can't not go deep. I mean, <laughs> goodness gracious. Um, the next item on our tentative agenda, and, and this is the way we did this uh, last night is just, we had a round table of the sessions that we saw today. I've got my 20 tabs open to help me remember what I saw. Ooh, okay. Um, I got my pages and notes. <laughs> oh, you have your pages and notes. That's I've great. got a note, a digital notebook. We're good. So maybe like yesterday, and, and now we have three plenaries that yes. we can talk about, but we could we could start with uh, with the, the plenary about the James Webb telescope and uh, discussed by Matthew Greenhouse. So uh, Andy, want to start us off? What were your thoughts on that? Sure. It was actually really fun. Um, first, I enjoyed the optics background that he gave on, you know, the telescope and its construction. And he actually showed the launch video. It was like it covered all the bases from 
how you know the origami folding of the mirror or unfolding of the mirror to exactly what they intend to study although you know that's going to change a million times but it can study mm. cool <laughs> things um and you know all the way to challenges that they think they might face and how they're dealing with some of it and um it's got a pretty wide range of what it can take images of from this the sky I think it was like 60% of the sky at any one time mm -hmm. and um it can get pretty far away and my favorite thing that they said they were going to do with it is take pictures of like oceans on Jupiter's moons I don't know yes okay. yes it's like oh there's there's uh flume clouds spinning yeah, up into yeah, the atmosphere yeah. it's like that's great it's like we can take pictures of that. That's cool. I I, yeah. I thought this also was, was going to be looking like I knew it was going to be looking deep in the universe. I didn't know it was going to be looking locally too. Yeah. Uh, so that that was cool. a a cool new piece that that I picked up from that. Yeah. I I wrote it. I wrote a little note on the side of my paper, and I was just like, the universe is so cool. <laughs> it's just all the things they were talking about, looking for, and you know, being able to you know, searching for life by looking at the spectroscopic signature. Uh, of the atmospheres of these planets that are transiting. It's just, uh, you know, you, you blink for a few seconds and all of a sudden we can study that much more new stuff. And it's just so, oh, it's so cool. And we I get could, to see how planetary systems formed. Mm -hmm. I could feel my blood pressure rising when uh, he started going through the, the records of the getting it to the launch site. <laughs> when he put up the map of it going through the, uh, was it the Suez Canal? I get no, the Panama Canal. If there's two canals in the world, right? Um, <laughs> it had the map of going through the Panama Canal. I could just feel my blood pressure going up, having followed the story on social media mm. and seeing all the 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 Twitter astronomers saying, "Oh my goodness, we don't know where it is. Oh my goodness, it could be here. It could be here. Oh my goodness, they're not telling us anything." And you know, the, them counting down the days and sometimes counting up the days as the as the launch got pushed back. It was a uh, it was, it was a wild ride to relive, I feel like. Well, and I, I think my new phrase in the classroom is, is, is now going to be one that Matthew used quite a number of times, which was, well, that's behind us now. And it went, well, we're done with that. <laughs> that's what I'm going to be happy to say about kinematics and dynamics. That's behind yep. us now. Yep. Now let's, let's move on to something interesting, even though it was actually kinematics that drew me into physics in the first place. So while it's one of my least favorite topics now, it got me, it was, it was my gateway in. So mm -hmm. and there's that. Well, it's the gateway, you know, out of the atmosphere too. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. So I, brought, I have I brought a comedian on. <laughs> I, I have a question. I don't know how many, I don't know which of us is qualified to answer, but um, so James Webb is at the, the L2 Lagrange point, which I had forgotten is only stable this way going around it's apparently unstable going toward or, or away from the sun earth mm -hmm. axis and so i was a little bit nervous about that but i i've heard of other spacecraft that we want to put at l2 and it kind of makes me wonder well how how many things can we put there like pragmatically how big is the is the equilibrium point there and i i don't know i think that's something i need to research well considering that the james Webb telescope is orbiting around that point i suspect there's a, a, maybe a, quite a number of orbits you can and space is pretty big yeah i think and you don't want it right on that point from what he was saying because there's some kind of thing with the shadow i don't know he was saying okay. pretty near it but not on it mm-hmm 
Do you have any reflections, Brian, that you wanted to share additionally before we jump into the many, many sessions that were there? I, I will confess that I only caught the second half because I was uh, playing chauffeur to the three-year-old today and I got in at, at the halfway mark. So my wife took out the, the three and a half year old for the day. So I had to place them myself. The caveat was I was supposed to get some housework done. So as that talk was going on, I had wireless earphones in and I was vacuuming uh, and I was constantly yeah. running over to the computer to see what he was showing when it sounded like it was something really cool. Like, Oh, I need to go see that. And then I would run to my piece of paper and it's like, I need to write that note down. And so it was an interesting experience. I think I'm ready for conferences to be live again. Yeah. So that yeah. I don't have Yesterday. duties. Yesterday I was folding laundry during several yeah. times. So yeah, that happened. I'm with this you afternoon. on that. <laughs> I I will be multitasking a lot less at my next in-person conference, even less than I was doing at my last in-person conference. I'm worried I'm not going to make any of the sessions. I'm going to be too busy socializing in the hallway to like actually yeah. the door because I won't have seen or talked to. Let's just let's just make the next meeting anybody. the social hour. Like like we don't yeah. need to rent any rooms. We just need a hotel and a hotel hallway. And we just bounce around the hotel hallway. That sounds good. Sounds and, like a food, and a food court. We need a food court. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. One of the coffee carts, too. Yeah. Well, APT is looking for ideas about, you know, boosting membership. And well, it sounds like we may be getting into that a, a little bit. So so one of the ones I'll, I'll, I'll jump out with is, and it, this is an interesting conflagration, I think is the word of, of events and people. That last night when we were talking, Brian, you asked, what would be a session in the future that I would be interested in? And I said, I want to know what are the types of careers that people are really going into in physics? And I want to learn more about those because I don't know anything about them. So one of the ones I, I saw on the docket for today was Anne's talk. I, was, <laughs> I made sure I, I attended that one. Uh, because I really wanted to, to hear about these, these ideas. Uh, and what was it called? Shifting culture to support physics, innovation, and entrepreneurship curriculum. I, I learned a new acronym, PI. I didn't know that was an acronym. Uh, and there were so, I, it was one of my biggest note sections that I, I had written with so many ideas uh, and, and places to look for information about, about careers and, and thinking about you know, talking, to, you know, for my podcast, you know, reaching out and talking to people in, in industry and maybe annual be able to give me some ideas of folks I could reach out to, yeah. uh, that I could talk to and say, you know, here, this could be an episode for students to listen to this person describing how they use physics in their career. So I was really excited about that session. It's basically, I put my wish out and already it was there because I hadn't memorized the, <laughs> the schedule yet. So I didn't know there was, there were some sessions. So thank you. And that's partly why I ended up roping you in because I enjoyed the talk so much and you had uh, a great, a great energy about you. And I thought you'll be, you would be a lot of fun to talk to. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you too. And I'm glad you enjoyed the talk. Um, yeah, it's been really fun to learn more about physics careers and directions that students are actually going and want to go. Um, it's not always that they're going to be physics professors. So it surprises some of the faculty in the group, but you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the, it's the yeah. age old question that students ask of what am I going to do with the quadratic formula? Well, you're going to become a math teacher and teach people to use the quadratic formula. It's like, no, somebody has to go off of the academic branch at some point, right? I somebody thought that was how you got off the when you're stranded on a desert island, didn't you need that equation? I don't know. 
that would surprise me, but I, <laughs> I, I, I would be happy to be surprised. If it gets me off the island, I'll gladly, uh, I'll gladly use it there. <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, it, it's also very strange because students don't know that, that physics is preparing them for so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet when you ask employers, they would love to hire physicists. Um, they don't often put physicists in the job call. Yes. It's not enough of us. Yeah. You know, so they would, they put like engineer or other rel- relevant science, Yeah. you know, and then yeah. for the students to decide that they have the skill set to do that job. Uh, but we don't really show our students a lot of different career options. So I'm sure having someone on your podcast and really making it accessible would be a, a very valuable contribution to the physics community and showing students what they can do with their degree. Yeah, the summary I heard a couple of years ago, and, and Anne, if this was in your talk, please cut me off. <laughs> oh, go for it. But um, the thing I heard a few years ago was that after interviewing lots and lots of employers, what AAPT found was that employers want graduates who can do two things, who want to have the experience of doing a deep dive into a subject matter, a technical subject, and the skill set to go and learn new subjects. And they don't really care what that first one is, as long as it goes deep and is technical. And physics is kind of one of the few majors that typically meets that requirement. And so it's it's not that you're going to go into a job and be solving Maxwell's equations one day and the Schrodinger equation the next. It's that you've done that difficult learning work and you know how to study and know how to go through a subject so that when your employer says, okay, we need you to learn this thing about civil engineering today. That's you can brand go new and do that it. no one's yeah. ever done before. So yeah. you have to be the one that can handle learning something new that we don't know as a society yet. I think, yeah, definitely. And then the other thing is some of the smaller companies, um, I'll tell you the background on how I learned this through research sometime if you want to hear it, but some of the smaller companies that I've talked to, they, they say that they love physics majors because they solve problems across disciplines. And so mm-hmm. if you have a team and you have people with very specialized engineering training or specialized material science training, you often need a physicist somewhere on the team to talk across them. And to understand the foundation um, of all the other sciences that can that can really cross communicate and do the deep dive into a new area. So they're not afraid to learn something new, but they also can talk across different disciplines. Because a lot of times these companies are made up of teams and at smaller companies, you have to wear different hats too. Yeah. So like, you're not just going to be doing one task. You have to be able to do multiple tasks with multiple people, talk to clients who have a whole different understanding. And physicists aren't really afraid to solve problems that are less familiar to them. Mm-hmm. You know, all those late night problems that have to do something for us, right? Yeah. When you're taking a class in physics, the students are terrified of having to see a new problem. But <laughs> that's <laughs> well, that's no, part of what we can't. have to help them overcome. That it's like, yeah, you you have you have the basics, so you should be able to apply that to this new problem. But they're also, you know, taking physics for the first time, and that's a hard ask. That first you time gave around. me a basketball problem, and all you taught me were baseball problems. <laughs> that exactly. Oh, <laughs> so you're saying we should do all of those exercises left to the reader. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the really open-ended ones with no definite answer. 
But well, anyway, let's, what, let's not steal all the content from the episode I want to do by interviewing <laughs> Anne. So we, we, we gotta talk about some other things. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, and do you have a, a particular session that that jumped out that you want to share? Yeah. So this time I ended up going to a lot of the equity and diversity sessions. I tend to go to all the career sessions, which is really fun. <laughs> like the, the sort of lab science ones and like, what are we teaching our students? But um, I'm starting a project with a uh, trying to get better mentoring support for Hispanic students. And we're in the final stages of grant approval. So fingers crossed. Oh, yep. nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I figured for that project, I need to really brush up on what's happening in diversity and equity in physics. So I went to a couple of really fun sessions there. And um, one of them was actually super interesting because it was uh, Ida Rodriguez was talking about different uh, kind of conceptual ways to think about uh, physics for underrepresented students. And uh, they specifically came from her Hispanic heritage. So it was really cool. Um, one of them was Napantla. And I don't know if I'm gonna do this justice, so I'll try, but basically it's this in-between state or in the middle, uh, kind of that feeling when you're not quite in one world or another. And I thought it was a really interesting way to think about students who maybe don't feel like they fit into physics, but they're sort of in physics, but then they maybe don't fit in with their families their home or friend groups because mm. they're weird physics thing or, you know, I mean, you could use it for all kinds of thinking and research. And I thought maybe it would be a valuable tool in the mentoring space, but also in my research. So Napantla, the in-betweens. What, what was an example of a, of a, of a strategy or, or, or some, some sort of, I guess the word intervention is used a lot that, that you could use for an individual who was, who was feeling like they're in this in-between places. Like, how do you, how do you help them feel more part of uh, the physics world or, or the other worlds that they're feeling sort of left out of? Well, maybe it's just the idea, you know, from what she was saying that you, you don't have to go over and help people cross the bridge. You can actually have a two-way conversation and a two-way, two-directional. Hmm. Um, so like valuing your students' ideas and perspectives and what they're bringing, even if they're maybe different from the, the norms of the physics community and vice versa. So it's not so much like we need to go help all these students. And I think it was, that was also touched on or, I mean, it was definitely talked about in uh, the plenary talk with James Stith too, you know, the idea that we don't just want to keep helping the victims. And I think this Napantla concept is really like, they're not victims, they're in this in-between world and they have things of value to share. And mm. we're in these in-between mm. worlds too. And if we can kind of cross these bridges, instead of helping victims into physics or from leaking out of a leaky pipeline, maybe building these bridges is a better concept so napantla instead of leaky pipeline that's what i'm going with mm -hmm. it reminds me of um you brought up uh james stith's talk and one of the the statements he said early on that i wrote down that that was meaningful for me was what we do speaks so loudly that they can't hear what we say and yeah if if we if we put out there this 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 energy and this intention and this demonstration that we're willing to listen to to everyone and what they have to say and value what they have to say you know right right there what we've done 
is is hopefully making that much more welcoming of a space. One way I heard it said, this was in the context of computation, but I think it applies to physics as well. They said, your job is not to airdrop physics into these students' lives. You know, like, oh, look at those uh, engineering majors, look at those chemistry majors, or look at those victims who aren't you know welcome in their world whatever it's not our job to just fly over and say here's some physics have a nice day hope it works out for you but to actually go in and ask the question of how is this useful to you like what what resources can i help bring that is helpful to you where you are in the things you are trying to accomplish in your trajectory as opposed to saying well i'm either airdropping it or i'm taking people along my same trajectory with me. It's very powerful, but yes, I would agree completely. I think, you know, it's, it's almost what, what we learned from the international development world, what you were saying, like you just keep giving resources, you're in the relief organizations, but you're not in the sort of sustainable development mm. space and we can provide relief. Mm. Or we can actually make systematic long-term changes, but that's going to take a shift in mindset Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the plenary talk by James Stith was very powerful because he's been doing that work for so long and he's seen the shift. Although he, he's, he made the, the other interesting comment about don't make DEI our next physics fusion, where it's always 30 to 40 years in, in the future <laughs> mm-hmm. where we've actually made it to the place we want to get to. Yeah. So Brian, do you have any, uh, any talks that jumped out at you that you'd like to yeah. share? So y'all were talking about uh, the careers session earlier, which is wonderful and amazing. And I was in a, a teacher recruitment session. So also about careers along a specific path. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that they brought up, this was two um, invited sessions. And one of the things they brought up was a lot more people, a lot more students are interested in teaching physics or teaching STEM than we think. It's just that they opt out of that path very quickly, either because they get, um, either because they get some negative perceptions of the career and what it offers and what it requires of them, or, uh, they, or there's a representation issue where they, they, you know, again, they don't see people like them in front of themselves in the classroom. Um, one statistic that was really powerful, and, and, and I will include a link to this PowerPoint in the, uh, <laughs> in, in the, the, the show notes whenever we get this published so that it'll, you can actually see what it looks like. But they showed the, the sort of um, racial, here it is, I finally found the slide. They showed the, uh, the racial diversity among the U.S. labor force and among teachers, and U.S. labor force, white non-Hispanic is 67%, right? So already a bit distorted there. But among teachers, it's 79%. And so the teacher workforce is wider even than the American workforce overall. Um, but then when you go to which students are interested in teaching, the, the, the non-white students are much more interested in terms of percentage of the population, they are much more interested in teaching than the white students are. And so somewhere along the way, we are losing these potential future teachers, you know, as as an example of the, this need for improvement in DEI. And so they're saying, you know, so when you are going in and trying to recruit 
your high school teachers, it's even more important, you know, that you keep an eye to the diversity of your student pool, of your recruitment, of your applications, et cetera. Um, they also uh, talked about how uh, if a student takes a class, takes a physics class from, a, from someone who had a physics degree, they are much more likely to go on to STEM in general, not just physics, but any sort of STEM field. Um, and so I think it was something like two thirds of all uh, high school physics classes are not taught by people with a physics degree. You know, they're cut thirds. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're being brought on loan from math or chemistry. Um, and they said physics has remained pretty steady along that. Math is actually deteriorating on that. And so more and more math mm -hmm. classes are being taught by people without a, a math degree. Yeah, I was sitting in on this session as well. And, and some of those statistics were, were kind of mind boggling. And what, Wendy Adams did something really cool where she was, she had clicker questions where we all were trying to enter answers into the, the chat. So I, I, I appreciated that. And I, um, I got at least one of them wrong that, 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 that second one where it was, you know, what, what do under, do, do underrepresented folks, are they more interested in teaching or, or less? And yeah, the numbers were kind of staggering there. How many were really mm -hmm. interested? And, you know, I, I wonder if there's something culturally there that mm -hmm. there's. Yeah. I mean, DEI is such a rich, interesting field to look into, but then the DEI of the teacher profession do the same trends hold or is it a, or is it its own different problem with different considerations? And so they gave some, some practical advice about how you market this, how you market a teaching career. Uh, they gave some advice about getting your colleagues on board because when your colleagues are making disparaging comments about the teaching profession, that it, mm. it sends those students off to a lifetime of research that they might not really be interested in. One of the things they talked about was when you talk about teacher salaries, talk about the range. Don't show the average because mm -hmm. the average is skewed toward the newer teachers who are not making as much. And probably not in STEM fields. And probably not in STEM fields. And also talk about the, 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 you know, the couple extra hours that teachers can put in each week for, for, for coaching the sort of academic competition team for, you know, for, for coaching the, the, the physics club that can get them an extra few thousand dollars a year to yeah. do stuff they're probably already interested in. And like, that can be enough to push the threshold of no, wait, this is actually a, a livable uh, career for me, you know, you know, disclaimer, obviously we need to pay teachers more. That is a, a definitely a systemic yeah. issue, but it doesn't have to be this, this barrier that turns students away, that, that there are ways that they can manage that better than is, is revealed in the narrative, I think. So that, that, that was interesting. Um, it, it, in my institution, we technically have a pathway for uh, people who want to be physics teachers, but there's really no recruitment to it. And there's nothing like there, there is no physics education class for them. It's literally, we'll get mm -hmm. a physics degree and get a teacher certification. And so that's part of what I'm looking into is can we actually make a physics education path? And then we need to get the students, you know, to, to, to go into it. It's funny. We're actually working on a physics education path too. Mm -hmm. You would think we would have one with Aaron Titus. <laughs> like, I mean, we've got a really great physics program. We've got an amazing STEM education master's program and um, for elementary. 
I mean, I think we're one of the few universities that has a, an elementary STEM program at my university, but we still don't have a physics pathway because the way the courses line up, mm-hmm. it's hard for them to finish in four years with physics and get the license. Um, but it's not going to stop us. We've got some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, part of it's rethinking the structures to make it work. Yeah. What I was going to bring up that's kind of interesting because it's not physics teachers, but our our elementary teacher programs, uh, the one that students go into as part of their four-year university track is not very diverse, but the one where we recruit um, professionals in different fields and actually bring them in to get a lateral entry teaching credential is much more diverse. And it's something I think we should look into more with physics teacher recruitment, especially if you know, if you have a physics background, and if that's going to help your students so much is we should be recruiting from, you know, industry, from technical fields. We sh- I mean, they should go into the classroom at least for a couple of years. But but our group that is lateral entry is much more diverse. It's called the prepare program. And I'm sure it would be the same if we did that for physics teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of actually a good friend of mine who has um, been in actuarial science for uh we're about basically the same age so so he's been in the workforce right out of um, undergraduate for 20 some years and he keeps saying year after year it's like i i want to get out of this i want to and and all it's it's all meetings 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 all the time it's like i want to go into teaching and i'm like it's like <laughs> like you know your paycheck is going to change substantially he's making a lot of money he's like your paycheck is going to change substantially but and you are going to have meetings yeah sorry <laughs> there, there will still be meetings but he oh he 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 burns the candle at a few too many ends so i think yeah. he would get more work life balance <laughs> yeah that was another uh, recommendation i made which was you can also break the teacher salary down into amount they make per hour which when you factor in the number of days in the academic year is is a pretty good number like like the students either are like well that's actually a, a pretty good number now that I, I kind of wonder if that plays into the whole myth of oh you only work 180 days a year it's like <laughs> yeah we know you don't really do that but you know mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I, I need to go back and actually look at the math on that one to, yeah. to, to it's, see better, it's a better way to look at it. it's more open-minded it is it, it is a more open-minded way of looking at it in the sense of this is what people think your time is worth you know, and, and that is a, that is a good question. I mean, I, I, I know me, I never calculate my hourly rate because it means the more I work, the less I make per hour. So, you know, it's certainly one of the draws for the, the field of, of education. And I almost feel like more so even uh, teaching in, in college that, and maybe this is my luxury for, you know, not being tenure track positions that this, when the summer arrives, you know, that, that time is, is very flexible. And mm-hmm. I, I often find myself wanting to think about my next classes and, and read books on education and all that over the summer. So I'm keeping busy with that, but there's, there's no pressure to, mm-hmm. to perform there. So I've, you know, anytime I've, I've had thoughts about, Oh, maybe I'll do something else. Like, Oh, then I have another summer where yeah. it's like, Oh, I get, I get a lot of flexibility. And I think, no, this is, this is nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I actually have the a satisfaction lot of, of working with students. <laughs> I, I actually have a lot of fun teaching summer classes, but we do all our fun like practicum for the student teachers. So we like go run summer camp, STEM summer camp for like two weeks with a with a bunch of our, our students. Um, and it's not for the whole summer. So it really does still allow that flexibility. But I feel like a lot of the practical like hands on learning in education, you can you can get more 
opportunities in the summer because you're not working within the school day and curriculum. And Mm -hmm. so students have a lot more freedom to try things out and experiment a little bit. Like when I say students, I mean, my student teachers, they have Mm -hmm. a freedom to try out and experiment with their teaching. And then the kids have a really good time. And so that's been pretty fun. Cool. Yeah. I love the flexibility. Summer's great. And you can get research students and, or travel, go to APT summer meeting. Yeah. (laughs) So do we have any other further sessions we want to talk about or, or Brian, I know you've, you've prepared a couple of questions for us to think about, which is very nice. And and we could hop into that. Um, I did get to see a poster about the quantum party board game. Um, (laughs) This was specifically by the, by the graphic designer. Yes. Yeah, oh, I, I saw, I saw that. I didn't, I didn't okay, get a chance yeah, to be at yeah. that session, but she, she's a student. I don't think she has too much of a physics background. She was in charge of just the, the layout and the visual elements of the game and how to make this thing look sciencey for lack of a better word. And it was just, it was mm. interesting to hear from her about her interaction with the game of, okay, mm. I have to make this thing look like you're playing with quantum mechanical cats. It was pretty neat. And, and, and for your reference, I had mentioned this one last night as, as sort of my, it was the last session I attended yesterday and loved it. And, uh, want to talk to, want to talk to them about the, the game as well and try to get a copy. <laughs> I need to see this game. I still am thinking about the last in-person APT, um, set, uh, APT game night. Someone brought the, uh, vector board game, like how did yes. it's like, Vector Vector? Vector Vector. Oh my God. We, <laughs> I still want to play that game. Like, it's fun. I need, we need to have a whole mm-hmm. physics game night with these party game party. Yeah. We have the quantum game. We've got the vector game. There's coding turtles. I mean, we could do all kinds of stuff. I've been so bad at having fun at AAPT meetings. I, I need, we need to be back in person again so we that do. I can, we need I can try season. harder. It's a critical and, bonding experience. I feel like all the great ideas are generated in those weird in-between. Yeah. yeah. And, and we can have these, these game nights. That sounds, yep. that sounds lovely. So, Anne, a question for you, uh, Brad and I talked about this last night. So, uh, we, we have some perspective on this. Okay. <laughs> you'll, you'll get to answer it in a vacuum. There was, I think a surprisingly overt focus on quantum stuff at this meeting. I take mm-hmm. partial credit for that. I proposed one quantum session that turned into two somehow. Um, but then there were other stuff I didn't know was going on until I saw the schedule. What did you think of that focus? Do you feel like that was a, a cool thing to see? What Did it maybe overrun the meeting? What, what did you think when you were looking and saw that on the schedule? Well, you wouldn't really know if you were in a quantum state until you get into the Zoom sessions, right? Bad physics joke. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I actually, so I saw the focus a little bit, but I also think that the technology is going in that direction too. So it's kind of one of those embrace it and roll with the punches thing. I mean, I've got a, my, my advisor from my PhD program, she's now developing quantum uh, curriculum for elementary kids. Mm. Oh, nice. <laughs> have a lot of quantum in our future and you know, we're just going to have to <laughs> roll with it. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually get to too many quantum sessions, although there was a lot of quantum mechanics in a very fun uh, wheel of time talk, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> full disclosure, that was mine. Yep. <laughs> For the listening audience. <laughs> it was quite good. 
Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm embracing the quantum. I love it, but I, I really love optics too. So, you know. So have you seen uh, from your perspective and thinking about uh, careers for, for students who are physics majors, have you seen the, the quantum information? Oh, what did QIS stand for? Quantum, quantum information. information. information it's, either, it's either quantum information systems or quantum information oh, sensing. Right. Anyway, have you seen... Have you seen that as, as a new up and coming career? A little bit. Um, like I said, I was fully in Rochester, New York for three years, um, doing a lot of optics education research. Mm. And what I saw there is this kind of move from electronics into optics. And I think when that happens, there's going to be a shift to quantum as well, because we're just going to have to fit more stuff onto chips and things. And it's going to, I guess, re-envision our entire technology and devices. Because right now I still have like electronics inside my phone and that's a little old school and it's all one dimensional. But once we hit optics and then add in the quantum mechanics and we can get multiple layers of information I don't know. Yeah, we need some people who understand that kind of stuff. Yeah, that sounds I'm, good. I'm, I, I think we've got to talk to the group at UC Santa Barbara that's making the curriculum. They'll teach us the quantum mechanics that's happening, that they're trying to prep kids for for future careers. I don't, I don't hear. I think in the in the companies that I talked to, I didn't hear about it too much, um, but I did hear sort of an anticipated move in the next ten years or so. I think the optics switch is going to happen first like using photons instead of electrons to mm -hmm. stuff. So to jump on, to jump on one of the threads that we've been, we've been kind of coming back to this, the, uh, you know, the, attending these conferences and what we're getting out of them. This was something that, that I brought up in our conversation last night. And then Brian shared this Twitter post that Brian Frank uh, had, had made, I don't know if that was today or if it was, it was yesterday, but it was, um, he was showing some of the, the numbers that were, um, I guess, given in the meeting of the members a couple of nights ago about how the high school membership has been, uh, decreasing and what that might mean. And there were just a whole lot of replies to that on, mm -hmm. on the, on the Twitter thread. And yeah, maybe we, I guess, may spend a few moments here, a few moments, good luck, uh, <laughs> kind of thinking about, you know, what, what, what is for, for us now we're all coming from the college perspective, the, the, the value of, of the, the membership of, of coming to these meetings and, and how can we, how could we make this a great environment for everybody teaching physics, whatever, whatever level yeah. that that is. So I don't know a great place to start with that, but the, the social aspect, I, I think, well, actually, okay. I lie. I do know a place to start with that. The social aspect that we're just talking about this, this ability to come together. And it's, it's not just about these, these sessions that we're going to, but that it's, it's about getting, is getting together and having these, these spaces where we get to know each other, but where ideas then also come from and, and inspiration and new connections and, and just having fun sort of nerding out the way we physicists can do. Mm -hmm. So that would be something like I would like to take more advantage of in, in the future and that maybe meetings would focus on that a little bit more. Yeah. Like there's little bits that are done there, but I don't think it's as intentional as, as it could be. Yeah, I've, I've always found it interesting. We call it a meeting. Like we never call it a conference, right? <laughs> the, the official name is that it is a meeting. And 
I mean, it certainly is structured like a conference, right? We have invited sessions, we have contributed sessions, we have posters, we sometimes have panels, like they're starting to experiment with panels. But it, you know, like we were saying earlier, the really exciting stuff is in the hallway where you are rubbing elbows with people. Now, where, where you do need the sessions, I think, is that the sessions help you identify who it is you want to rub elbows with in the hallway. Right. So mm-hmm. that when you see uh, Anne's amazing presentation on career options, you know, to go up to her and say, I was I had a conversation with a student about this just last week. And then you dive into that. And that's where you find out all the stuff that they didn't have in their presentation or the stuff they've been working on since they submitted the abstract or got the grant or whatever. Um, and that's where the, you know, ideally that's where the friendships and the collaborations form, or at the very least, that's where you get the energy to go back and do the things that it is that you, that you want to do or that you've learned about at the meeting. Um, to, to maybe just summarize some of the conversation uh, that took place on Twitter, Brian Frank posed the question of uh, what do you think is the cause of the driver of this? And he framed it as uh, AAPT has transitioned from a membership dominated by K-12 to a membership dominated by higher education. Because like you mentioned, Brad, the majority of the decline is in the high school membership. The the higher ed membership looks like it's relatively steady. It's had a little bit of a decline the last couple of years, but what has not declined the last couple of years? I mean, um, but it's, there seem to be a few main responses people are giving. Uh, One of the most frequent ones stated is cost and time. That for high school teachers, it's it's becoming increasingly cost prohibitive to maintain a membership and pay for dues and carve out the time to go to a meeting. And if you're, I mean, not not to downplay everything else that is wonderful that AAPT does, but if you're not going to a meeting, you're probably not motivated to maintain that membership, you know, just to, to, just to get journals and, and and resources, you probably don't have time for anyway. A couple of folks have chimed in and said, well, maybe the issue is that it's two meetings per year and it feels like they can't keep up with that or the commitment to be in a leadership position is too high for high school teachers to feasibly keep up with. Um, So committee members are expected to go to, I think it's three out of the four meetings for their two years of membership, or maybe that's the, maybe that's specifically the leaders. But anyway, you know, that kind of is prohibitive for high school teachers to then be in those leadership positions if they can't get to the, the meetings. Um, I and a couple of other people brought up the the notion that one of the reasons you see more from the higher ed folks is that if I'm at a primarily teaching institution, those are tending to ramp up their scholarship research expectations without really providing the search, excuse me, the, the, without really providing the support for you to do the type of discovery research you were probably trained to do, right? We were, before we started recording, we were talking about people like Anne and myself who transition from a discovery research, nuclear condensed matter <laughs> research program into <laughs> physics education. And so it's kind of like, well, I guess I'll go give a talk about the thing I'm doing in my class because that's what I'm spending all my time on. That's what I can actually talk about. And so you can also look at um, authorship in the physics teacher as another indicator that is starting to skew more heavily toward higher ed authors rather than high school authors. I mean, in principle, it's for both of us, but the fact that it's skewing a little bit more toward higher ed is, is a thing to watch. It's not necessarily a bad thing, 
but it is maybe an indication that the, the high school teachers don't have the motivation to do that the way we do when, when we need that for, for our CVs or for our tenure uh, packets. Um, well, and it could be, it could be yeah. a really good thing too, in a lot of ways, because PER, physics education research, used to be kind of the black sheep of the physics department. And now people are embracing the ideas a lot more. Um, you can actually do research in PER in a physics mm-hmm. department and be supported by your colleagues. And I think with that acceptance, there's also a little more value in PER. The faculty that are like PER adjacent or friends of PER um, are more willing to explore the application of those ideas. And so you get kind of this increase, not just in the PER community, but in like other faculty who are like, hey, there's some benefit in learning, you know, some of these teaching strategies or things that others are doing in the classroom at other schools that might work for my classroom. Um, you know, so maybe there's some good things kind of happening in the shift, but I do think, you know, one of my friends who was with me as a postdoc, she actually took a teaching position during the pandemic, um, and in, in, a, in a high school teaching high school physics, and then she went to community college and that year that she was teaching high school, she was busy. Like there was no way she would have time to prep a talk go to PT, the cost, like you said, was really prohibitive. I mean, she still made it because it was online, which is great. (laughs) But, but I think her one year stint in there, we just have a whole new respect (laughs) of what physics teachers are, are going through right now, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, the job was hard enough because there's just so few physics teachers in high schools right now and they're overstretched. Um, and I think, you know, it's just getting mm-hmm. thinner and thinner and thinner. The tensile strength of physics teacher. The tensile strength. <laughs> <laughs> so one, that, that is related to the, the last major sub-thread of that, just to round out the summary here, is uh, people wondering if maybe the high school teachers feel pushed out of AAPT by the growing presence of the PER community. And I certainly, that's not I don't think anybody in PER is doing that intentionally. Like, like I, I wouldn't think that was it. I think maybe that's more of like a, a secondary effect in terms of, I finally, I'm a high school teacher. I finally do make it to an AAPT meeting and half the sessions are these graduate students presenting on this one survey they did in their calculus-based freshman level undergraduate course I don't really know what's going on there. So I'm maybe going to go to try to find, you know, something else. So maybe it feels a little bit for uh, a, a little bit uh, alien to them. Um, and so I, I do wonder if maybe this kind of dual nature to the meeting is putting a strain on mm. it in the sense of on the one half, yes, there's still stuff for the practicing physics educator, but then there's this other half that, you know, for all intents and purposes feels like the March meeting for PER and, you know, the, the PER community needs that, right? They need that environment and they need that type of conference. But, I, you know, maybe we need to get back to that original mission of PER exists to serve the physics education world by being in conversation with a teacher. Maybe it's the, it's the connection point between the two halves of the brain that needs some strengthening there. And that, I mean, that's certainly something I try to do in the sessions I organize. I try to always have research side application side. And I try to get those folks, I try to create the opportunity for them to be in conversation with each other. And I think in the summer meeting, we have PERC, you know, there is that opportunity 
or sort of the PER mm -hmm. inner space for methodology and things like that. But it is, you know, if more students are coming, they might not also have the skill set to translate their research to teachers for teachers yeah. and working with teachers better yeah. instead of kind of, you know, again, it, it really can't be a they are, you know, PER is doing this just for teachers. It's got to be more of a collaborative space. Mm -hmm. Really, like you've got to keep the purpose of the conference in mind because we have PERC. It's separate, you know. Yeah. There should be separate little space, but like. Yeah, there's some interesting ideas coming up here. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking, I mean, with the growth of, of PER, one would hope that that would mean there would be a bigger contingent from university and college level, and then that the high school numbers would remain steady. Um, the fact yeah. that the college numbers remain steady and high school is dropping maybe means both are actually dropping because you're mm -hmm. getting more from PER, but maybe you're not getting as, as much. For it did remind me of this article that actually Brian Frank had written uh, several years ago about the different worlds that you navigate within AAPT. And he came up with this model of four worlds that you might belong to one or you might belong to multiple right okay what was the word the for the for the bridge that you need napata <laughs> napatla napatla yeah so he's he's kind of he's kind of getting to napatla here where he said well there's the there's the per world we've talked about that there's the university physics educator world who are in principle there for the same reason as the high school physics teachers but they're talking about they might be talking about their upper division quantum mechanics course and not the one high school physics course that most people are teaching. There's the high school physics teacher world. And then he lists PIRA slash demo slash apparatus world. Hmm. Um, I would probably today expand because he wrote this in 2018. So this is morphed a little bit. I would probably expand that into the world where you're going to P you're going to AAPT to meet with your AAPT subgroup. Right. So that that mm -hmm. includes me. I when I go to an APT meeting, I'm looking for the pickup people. Like mm -hmm. I'm happy to talk with everybody, but I specifically look for my pickup people and make sure I get time with them because mm -hmm. I'm not going to get to see them in person otherwise. Um, and so I, I I I'm tempted to to remind Brian that he wrote this article and posted reply and say, so do you think this world structure needs to be updated any to to reflect this, or maybe what we're seeing is you know, the, the a crisis within or between some of these worlds. I don't know. I, I wonder if there's, if the, the conference needs to be partly more welcoming to folks who haven't found uh, an, a niche yet. Because mm. um, I'm thinking I've, I have struggled at the conferences myself. I'm not, I can be very outgoing one-on-one, -on -one, but I'm not very outgoing in, in a bigger group. So mm -hmm. I, I struggle to kind of, like if I'm coming in and I don't know people to, to get my way in. So usually I stick with, you know, if I, if I go with a colleague, I'm kind of spending most of my time uh, with, with that colleague. Now I have this, the, the IPLS group that, mm -hmm. that I, I, I talk to. So that, that, that has become my, my subgroup, but I haven't found a way to quite feel as maybe welcomed by other people who are already in their other groups who've already figured yeah. out that, that space. Uh, a little bit better and yeah wait ways that aapt could help help folks and i guess there's a lot of events that 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 maybe maybe that permits it and i just wasn't as good at taking advantage of those um, i'm not sure what your thoughts are 
One thing that I really like, um, NARST is a little harder to enter, I think, than AAPT, partly because it's bigger. NARST is the, the science education big conference that happens every year, and it's mostly research focused, but um, it's very, it feels very difficult to enter that. But one thing that they set up there that I really like is this mentoring program. So um, if you're, mm-hmm. you sign up for the conference, you can select to either be a mentor or um, have a mentor as part of your conference experience. And then they have in one of the, you know, the first sessions, they have a mentor meetup and mm-hmm. it's like a big room, you go and find your mentor. Um, and then they kind of just introduce you to people who are in the room and like walk you around, yeah. help you figure out sessions to go to. And it's fairly informal, but I think having that one person that you're like assigned to connect with, Mm -hmm. um, it it really does help with that bigger conference feel and maybe something that AAPT could try. I don't know. Yeah. Just almost like a shadowing or a, or a conference Mm -hmm. guide buddy. I I did something similar with my, um, research students that I took to the virtual summer meeting this past summer. Um, because they, they they were all presenting, they were all nervous. They had no idea how to choose a session to go to, what what to get out of a presentation. I said, okay, let's sit down. I will give you a conference orientation, and I walked <laughs> them through how do I make a schedule for for what I'm going to go to. How do I tell whether how, how do I listen to a talk, right? Because you don't listen to every slide equally, right? You mm-hmm. you you get the intro. You muddle your way through the methods, and you lit and you look for the the money slide at the end where they they're showing the thing that they did. But what I also did was I ran them, I, I ran through them, I ran through with them this communities model of what are the circles you're going to be seeing and who is in them. And so I I, I shared with them some names and I said, look, if you see this person in a session. That means you are entering this world. They are probably going to talk about this thing, which you read about in this article by that person, you know, and I kind of walk them through, here are kind of the main pickup people. Here are the main uh, uh, PER people who are working on this. Here are the main PER people who are working on this. Here is a, a, a couple of big name high school teacher people. And so I kind of gave them the guide of, you know, these are the things that they will probably be talking about. If you're interested in this thing, this is the person you want to go and find. And I, and I really encourage them, go talk to anyone you want to. They will be happy to talk to you. It's, it's only the <laughs> nicest people who actually come to this meeting. And anybody is happy to talk to you about whatever you, you want, you know, based on their, their talk or, or the session you're just in or whatever. And I, I, I don't know how many of them followed that advice in detail, but I think it kind of lowered the pressure for them a bit to feel like, okay, this is actually a space I can be in and navigate and benefit from. They've got the map of the high school lunchroom now. They can figure out where they- Yes, <laughs> yes. I don't know how to do that at scale, but it would certainly be great to figure out how. All right, I'm thinking maybe we should move on to our, our last reflection here, which is- Sure. What takeaway are you most interested in putting to action? I'll, I'll, I can jump in first. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I think it's because I've, I've been already thinking about this a little bit with the get the facts out, 
which which mm-hmm. Brian, you'd brought up um, attending that session uh, earlier. And it's it's a piece that I, I've looked at some of the resources. I've, I've signed up for their their newsletter and and information. So I, I've been sort they've been sort of on my on my radar. And like finally, after listening to this, I thought, you know, I, I really need to I really need to start putting some of this information up uh, within my department because we have a very robust physics major. You know, we're graduating maybe 20 majors a year right now with an undergraduate population of only about 2000. So it's a very, uh, it's a very strong department, but almost nobody goes off into teaching. Uh, there's, there's a couple here and there, there really isn't a whole lot of, of emphasis on it. So I feel like I'm in a position where, you know, I'm non-tenure track. I'm, I'm more interested in the, in the straight up teaching side of things. So this, this could be my role to play where I can encourage folks and, and say, Hey, have you thought about that as a, as a possible career choice and just, just get the, the figures into their hand to think about that to, if they're interested. So I think that's the one that I, I think I'm most ready to be able to, to act on right now. I like it. That'll be good. I wish I had seen that talk. It sounds really motivating too, like for recruitment of teachers and I, I want to go be a high school teacher again maybe not in a, in they a did a good job time. then yeah. they're recruiting <laughs> even you um I guess I can share mine if you want um go for it so so it's it's actually kind of similar I think getting the facts out you know can also help with uh, retention and attrition in programs is mm-hmm. like know what what the current statistics are in order to make changes not just assume um where we are. And Angela Johnson is working on a portal with a lot of uh, retention and attrition data. And it's broken down by different areas, different types of universities. And you can play in the portal with, with the different data. Um, and it's very easy to visualize. Uh, so it's kind of like, it's, it's you know, a- AIP data, but that you can mess with. Um, and so I'm excited. Her portal, she, she said it'll be out I mean, it's a whole team. The The talk was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the portal's coming out hopefully next month. Um, and I'm just excited to see where we are. I mean, a lot of times we we find data and it's very fixed in one point in time from a while ago. And I keep making decisions based on that. <laughs> so it'll be nice to better help students and think about future career paths and make decisions if, if we have the facts. Yeah, we can do that for teachers. We can do that for undergraduates. Yeah. So we talked about the uh, proliferation of quantum topics. And I, one of my talks was also about quantum education stuff because I'm uh, my colleague and I from, uh, from our department of education, uh, we have a grant to train high school teachers to deploy some quantum content through computational activities. Uh, And I've kind of I've kind of developed the materials as best I can on my own and kind of exhausted my thought process of, well, here's what I would have them do, here's what I would recommend, et cetera. And so seeing the wealth of information coming out from from folks here, I've got stuff to kind of comb through and go through. One of the big items is um, uh, one of the presenters, uh, Mark Hannum, who is on staff with AAPT had a presentation on similar initiative and he's actually coming to our group meeting uh, next week uh, so that we can kind of share data, talk about what our teachers are learning, maybe share some materials, et cetera. And so I'm, we're currently in kind of version 2.0 
of, well, we haven't quite started it yet. So we're in version 1.9 of our materials. And so I think with this, I could probably push it out to version 2.5 or 3.0 or something. Um, so that'll be, that'll be really interesting to, to get to expand on. Also, I will order a uh, quantum party because it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> nice. You've got to talk to Daniel Harlow's group too. They're doing some really fun hands-on activity. Hands-on. Daniel Harlow. Okay. Yeah. Thank at UC you. Santa Barbara. They've got this whole um, quantum for, for kids project. And I feel like it could work for high school too. I mean, they're just really engaging activities. Yeah. I mean, anything you come up with for elementary, awesome. you can use all the way up to senior level undergraduate. Cause yeah. It, it, it's conceptual. It, it's and conceptual. It reinforces. It helps, it helps introduce the concepts. Or you can say, where do you see this highly technical concept at play here? <laughs> and it's it's just a way for them to unlearn it and kind of deprogram all the jargon that they've learned, which yeah. is really important. Well, this has been a very fun conversation. I've yes. appreciated this. Uh, and thank you so much for joining Brian and I this evening. We uh, should, we, so should all three, me. No. <laughs> we should all three do this again. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. This is great. Thank you so much.